I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Rugby Tonight podcast featuring myself, Hugo Monier and Ben Kay. And after how chill it was at Majeski. It is nice brilliant to be in the war. Right, well, it's been some week in the rugby world, so here's a flavour of what we've got coming up. Sarah Elgin speaks to Eddie Jones on how England looked to bounce back from only his second ever defeat in charge at the Stade de France on March the 10th. We hear from his former Scotland captain on that result on Saturday in life after rugby and his new adventures. Doddy Weir's on the show as he talks about motor neurone disease after he was diagnosed last year and how the disease has inspired his amazing charitable work with the Doddy Weir Discretionary Trust. We look back on the career of one of the greats as Ireland and Leds the legend, Jamie Heaslip, hangs up his boots. And we talk to all things Aviva Premiership as a number of sides left it late to earn vital wins in the latest round. Well, the best place to start this week's pod is to hear from Eddie Jones. No doubt the man's been hurting after the weekend's result, and he caught up with BT's very own Sarah Elgin. Oh, look, everyone came in disappointed. Uh, you know, we are disappointed with our performance, but as I said on Saturday, it's my responsibility to turn it around, so we've got a plan of how we're going to turn it around, and we're confident we can do it. I don't think we're taken by surprise. We always respect them greatly as a team. Uh, you know, and it was one of those games where everything went right for them and, and they thoroughly deserved their victory, but uh, yeah, we just didn't cope with them well on the night. I don't control the reaction of the media. All I do is coach the side, you know, um, and I'm doing that to the best of my ability. If people don't think that's good enough, well, they're allowed to make that decision and ultimately the decision on whether I'm good enough to coach the side is with the RFU. Well, our players need to do some strength and conditioning work, so we've got a group of players here that need medical and strength and conditioning work. And we've allowed other players to spend some more time with their family while still training it in various sort of satellite areas. Well, all we've got to do is beat France. You know, we beat France, we're in a position to win the tournament, and, and that's our aim at this stage. England got a pretty decent record, haven't they? Two losses, Very tw- good. 26 matches but there seem to have been the daggers out there this week a massive overreaction there's been people in the Aussie press coming out and saying that you know under Eddie Jones it always comes to a sour ending loads of other people saying that this England squad is plateauing a bit of an overreaction do you do you agree with that what do you yeah, think I think it's it's part of the problem 
with the fact that in international rugby you play together so infrequently. I think it's a, a massive issue in the Six Nations that you only get to play each side once. So, for example, you know, I, I think it's I think it reflects badly on our perceptions of Scotland that we think, oh my goodness, we've lost a game to Scotland. I think it, the Scotland's Scottish reaction to winning almost reflects badly on themselves. They should be wanting to beat England at home every yeah. time they go out to play. And, yeah. and actually they should beat them more probably because yeah. particularly the squad they've got at the moment, you know, and, and this Scotland squad, they've lost two games by a point to Australia uh, so the end of the quarterfinal of the World Cup, when they should have won, the, yeah. that decision went against them. They then lost by a point in the 2016 Autumn Internationals to Australia. They beat Australia on the summer tour. Then they hammer them at Murrayfield. Now, if Australia, as they did in the summer, beat New Zealand, no one goes, well, what's happened to New Zealand rugby? You know, yeah. Maybe they should sack the coach and, <laughs> and, and maybe, maybe they've plateaued. Yeah. But the fact that New Zealand get to play Australia three times, I think if England played Scotland three times, there's a good chance that England would have won two one. But yeah. you know that's not, that's not the case, and and so I think there's been an overreaction. If that slide continues, and England, if England can't get back up to the level that that we expect of them, then yeah, maybe you have to question it. But I think on the back of one result, when you know what it's like, sometimes on a day things just don't click for you. The players look lethargic. Maybe they overtrained yep. the week before. Eddie said that Friday was the hardest ever session they'd had the, in the week leading up to test week. They'd had those two sessions against Georgia. And I think the important thing as well is you learn much more from when you get beaten. Of course you do. And, you know, all those plans that you put in place, those game plans, are just theory until you test them out. So 2000, England lost to Scotland. 2001, they lost to Ireland. Uh, 2002, they lost to France. 2003, they won a Grand Slam and they won the World Cup. Without those losses, Clive wouldn't have been able to test some of his theories going properly before he went into a World Cup. I completely agree. I think there is a slightly different emotion in the Six Nations because it is so condensed. It's, it's either feast or famine. There's yeah. nothing in between because all that matters is the result. And we'll take Scotland as an example. Week one, oh, well, they're awful. They're overhyped. Da, da, da. I mean, they're never able to back up an autumn with the Six Nations. Week two, they beat France. Like, okay. Yeah. And now they're going to win the World Cup next year. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. And I just think there has to be a middle line. But back to England. Do you think England are playing like a number two team in the world? I'm not talking about Saturday's result, but over not the last Not over the year. last three weeks, but I think, you know, going back again to, to previous campaigns, pre-World Cup win, there were times where the first couple of rounds, England weren't that good. Yes, they, they won games, but then they'd spark into life with a brilliant performance. Um, and everyone go on uh, England about you don't play brilliantly every week that the key to New Zealand's success over the years has not been their barnstorming performances but it's been the fact that when they've been up against it against Scotland and you know that, that Scotland only lost by five points last time they played New Zealand yeah. when they've played against Ireland bar that Chicago loss 
when it comes right down to the line, they have been able to get over the line. And that's when, you know, all this fuss about Nigel Owen's refereeing decisions, well, actually, you've got to take the... Re- even if you agree with that, you've got to take the referee out of the equation. The referee might get influenced by it being the home stadium of, of one team. You know, we, we've spoken to an analysts that think that it makes five points difference yep. to, to, to the game playing at home because of the referees' reactions. Not, not international referees, but referees as a whole. So... If you want to be the best in the world, you've got to be able to beat teams at home and away from home as well. And you've got to be able to take all those factors out of the equation and solve problems yourself. England didn't do that at Murrayfield, but they will have learnt a bit more about how you do go about solving it by analysing that loss this week. You played in a great side, obviously, 2003. I'm sure you've played in games where things aren't going so well, but what would you have expected to have seen from this English pack who got battered at the breakdown? Because there seemed to be a lack of communication and certainly didn't solve their problems. We saw it last year against Italy. Didn't see it again uh, on Saturday. Yeah, well, it's it's tough. The breakdowns, Anish, I saw Paul O'Connell um, you know, acting as a pundit and, and he said, you know, there's no point complaining about how the referee's refereeing it because, you know, one side, you can always find something wrong at a breakdown. One side will think one thing's happening, another side will think another thing's happening. So England did look a little bit slow to some of the breakdowns. They did look like they were getting beaten there. So perhaps you have to reduce the number of breakdowns. You have to maybe kick a little bit more play deep down into the opposition turn the tables on them and not be the attacking side all the time so that when they're coming trying to play out of their own half that's when you attack their breakdown and you end up with some penalties yourself the one thing which really bothered me at the weekend and you see it all over social media and of course it's it's instant isn't it so people are tweeting and stuff for promotion but the notion of get underhill on the pitch get underhill on the pitch and i just thought to myself yeah, fair play, get him on the pitch. I mean, he came on, got yellowed, but that's just completely relevant to what I'm about to say. This this whole push to get a, a, an out-and-out seven on the pitch, they only affect opposition ball. Mm. England's problems were their ball. 13 turnovers. So unless they they know something that I don't, is he the best guy clear in a ruck? I'm not sure. I just felt as if England should have changed their tactics, latched on a bit, maybe ran in twos and threes. And I don't want to be like clever dick here a week after with all the with solving all the problems. But I was just a little bit disappointed considering the amount of caps in that forward pack or within the team that they weren't able to solve. Yeah, it. and the other area you can look at is did they did they play enough tight stuff to hold in defenders so that you're not running into a congested midfield where there are one tackler, next guy goes over the ball and can latch on before you can get support there. So, you know, that that, that driving game, that, that pick and go through the middle, a little, little bit like Leicester did at, at Saracens. Yeah. You know, so Leicester got a lot of their, their most destructive breaks in and around the breakdown because everyone was ex- Saracens were expecting them to play through the middle of the field and attack defensively uh, that area. And it was a little bit of a surprise. Now, once you draw those players in who are worried about defending in those those areas, then it opens up a little bit more for you to play. OK, I guess this podcast isn't to lament the woes of England from the weekend. I mean, Scotland... They were just superb at the weekend, quite simply. We can talk about England's inaccuracies, but you've got to just take your hats off to them. They, was, they were brilliant. Well, I, you know, I did my column last week, on, or one of my columns on, on Finn Russell, and I said, write him off at your peril because he's the sort of player that if it clicks for him, he is very, very difficult to defend, and he was superb, wasn't he? I mean, that pass he throws over the top, I know you... It, it's the best pass was, I've yeah. ever seen, honestly. I, I, I genuinely can't think of another... 
pass that would come even near that category of class. I mean, the amount of pressure he's put under off his left hand, 15 metres to find Hugh Jones with fouls jumping out of him. Jonathan Joe's up in up in the line as well. It, it, it's brilliant. But then everyone forgets his second pass to Maitland. Yeah. It's the same again. A flat two over Anthony Watson. He's a player that plays on the edge. Absolutely. And you, know, you, you mentioned Jones. I thought he was cracking yeah the back <laughs> the back row for Scotland looked a very destructive unit and, and and had good balance amongst amongst them it was just one of those games where Scotland played particularly well yeah um everything that they tried to do worked they were helped a little bit by some errors in England's defense mm -hmm. but your defense makes errors when it's stressed and, yeah. and Scotland had to do that to, to create those opportunities but that's why I said right at the beginning of this, it's almost a little bit showing of non-respect to Scotland that we're all saying, oh, who do we who do we sack from England? Who, who do we drop from the England team? <laughs> well, actually, Scotland des deserve the plaudits. They they made England look average. Do you think they can back it up against Ireland at the Aviva? It's tough going there because Ireland's confidence is, is sky high. Yeah. You know, atmospheres do play something. My worry for Scotland is have they got that in a belief that when they go over there, they can do it. All teams turn up and say, yeah, we can win this game. But just when things start to go wrong slightly or a pass gets dropped or whatever, have they got that we can win away from home? Or has last week almost reinforced the fact that the Murrayfield factor is big for them? And that's where they need to progress now. They can't be a home side that, that's difficult to play at Murrayfield, but you know, a bit of a soft touch away from home. Because they play the role of England, don't they? Yeah. Uh, and, and it's a weird one. And I think they'll actually learn a lot from England in terms of how they underperformed playing away from home. They won't want to fall into those same trappings. So as to, of course, they've got to focus on themselves and how they got themselves up emotionally for that game. But... I'll tell you this, if you're a Scotland fan, your team win next week in the Aviva, they're winning the Six Nations. It's yeah. as simple as that, isn't it? Yeah. Last game's Italy. Well, they might have to rely, funnily enough, on England <laughs> yeah. to beat Ireland because Ireland have the two bonus points, which is uh, yeah, fantastic for them. Great performance. Imagine to, if England do them a favour. God. <laughs> <laughs> Would you chuck the match? <laughs> Freedom, but we really want you to win the <laughs> win next week. Um, yeah. And um, as as for Eddie Jones, of course he's not going to overreact to anything because we don't overreact when they win. We shouldn't do so when they lose. But traditionally, he makes changes every game he plays. What changes do you think he needs to make going into France? Not a hundred percent sure. I wonder whether he'll look. So if, if France picked Bastereau, who had a brilliant game in terms of stats last week, does he think, well, with my attacking hat on, I think we can attack him better by having Farrell as a second playmaker and Joseph outside him? Or does he think I need a bit more steel to stop that? And does he go, well, I'll have Ben Teo in my centres, in which case does he say, well, I'll move Farrell to 10 and have Teo at 12 and then keep Joseph at 13 to, to try and exploit Bastereau. So I think that'll be an area he'll look at. Back row, potentially he could look at it. But I think if I was him, I would... I remember Heineke Mayer saying to me, I, I never drop players after a bad performance. I don't think Eddie Jones is, is like that. But almost, I tell you, actually, you should be dropped this week, but I'm giving you another shot to sort it out. And yeah. then I'm going to drop you the following week. But I'm warning you now that it's happening. So you don't dent that team's confidence that... 
because by dropping players now he reinforces all the negative stuff that the press and the media are saying yeah and he makes it almost sound and he never lets the media dictate the agenda he would almost be admitting to the media you're right some of our players weren't up for yeah. it so I, I could see him going with the same side bar maybe one or two changes and then after the game if England win, coming into the press conference and go, oh, you wrote, you wrote us all off. You yeah. said, no, no, they're rubbish, mate. You, you told me last week they're rubbish. It's, it's got him all over it. Of course, I, I think you're right. I think it's important. I mean, we see in that England forward pack, it is a good pack. On paper, it's a yeah. brilliant pack. I think considering what England could be playing for against Ireland, he'll want to get those top players playing at that level to be able to beat them. So we'll give them. 50 minutes, 60 minutes, could be 80 minutes to try and play them into form, yeah. knowing that they're under a huge amount of pressure because of the competitive nature of the England squad, because it's Eddie Jones and everyone wants to be a part of it. So I think he'll probably give them another chance to try and play their way in. But if they don't, he'll be forced into yeah. making changes because you've got to have your gun team against Ireland. You can't go in with players not playing well. Second row is quite an interesting one because I don't think Marrow's playing at the same level he was last year. Does he look tired because of the Lions? Um, still a world-class player that, you know, if you were playing against England, you'd think if Marrow wasn't there, or well, thank goodness maybe, but he's not the player at the moment that he was. Yeah. Courtney Laws, we were all saying, oh, he has to start at six pre-tournament, but hasn't really sort of lived up to that expectation maybe, yeah. but maybe that's a little bit harsh on him. Joe Launchbury, I think, has continued his wasp form that, yep. that got him back in so you know if you do look to change the back row is it do you take Courtney out of it and put Robshaw into six and play Underhill and then that becomes that well does Courtney manage to survive in the team but move into the second row or does he does he go on the bench as an impact player so there's a lot of permutations you could make you've got also perhaps look at the bench because I felt as if well, I've certainly felt the last couple of weeks the bench haven't had the same impact that they've that they've had over the yeah. last eighteen months, and maybe dropping one of those second rows, maybe a more athletic one, a Courtney or a Marrow, and having them to unleash all hell with the final twenty minutes could be exactly what England might need. The same way, if you went Farrell and Teo at ten and twelve, and then say forty, if we soften these guys up, I need you back at ten. Farrell, you move to twelve, and we're going to go tempo yeah. and pace exactly. and try and exploit some of those paces. Yeah. So. I've not seen the same effect of the bench, and I think... Well, is one of the reasons for that, who do you think England's most effective <laughs> bench player has been? Who's been it's the guy that's been gone Danny Kerr. Danny Kerr. Top try score for England last year. And Jordan set up Rebellion, a few, and, and it's that ability to come off the bench and pick the pace up again just as it's starting to tail off. And, and you yeah, know, Wigglesworth won't necessarily... Well, he won't do that in terms of picking the pace up. He'll give you a better kicking game if you need to close the game out. Yeah. You know, a lot of people saying, well, why is Dan Robson not there? But Eddie obviously doesn't fancy Dan Robson, does he? No. no. Yeah, and, and, and it's a funny one. You wonder if Dan Robson had been in around the squad the last couple of years that he would have been fast-tracked mm. in, but he hasn't. And with Wigglesworth, you've got a guy who's recently been playing at a high intensity, played for the Bar played for England against the Barbars in the summer, two European Cup. He's a good player. Oh, yeah. He can pick it up real quick, but you wonder if the decision might have been different. And a leader. Been, yeah, 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 yeah. Ben exactly Youngs that. would be a leader within the yeah, team. very it, true. Because of his experience. So and there's the familiarity of all the Saracens guys, yeah. Faz there at 10, yeah. Marrow, George Cruz, um, Jamie George, all, all these guys in the team that he knows and knows how to play with. So um, it, it is an interesting one. Um, 
Eddie hates people in the media talking about his team. Uh, <laughs> we've just done that for 10 minutes, but it'll be interesting to see what he does now. I don't, I don't think he's listening to this. We're do you reckon? Right. <laughs> <laughs> do, you reckon it's, do you reckon it's on his download <laughs> list? I, Subscription. I swear Eddie, I've read a review are, from him. If you could give us a five-star review <laughs> despite us pulling your team apart, that'd be great. <laughs> Okay, well, outstepped Benny Kay and instepped a Scottish legend, Brian Redpath. So thanks a lot for joining us on the pod. And for many people, I'm going to say many people, everyone that's not English, it was a wonderful weekend of rugby, wasn't it? I mean, you must have been absolutely thrilled. Where did you watch the match? How are you feeling? Yeah, it was a great weekend. I was working with Peter's coming at the, the Gaucho restaurant in, oh, uh, nice. in London, actually. So I got the, the train out of London in the morning. Uh, Scrivs absolutely hammered me um, <laughs> pre-match about dwarf throwing and um, Somalia being better than Scotland and everything. So, uh, you know, that pre-match stuff was was pretty tough to do. But then, obviously, by half-time and, and obviously the end of it, there was a huge uh, humble pie getting eaten. I was going to say, but I mean, when you look to that game and as a Scotsman going into I mean, obviously, you just said Scrivener's just giving you a hammering before the match. Did you believe that Scotland would win on Saturday? I thought it would be a lot closer than what maybe, you know, history in the past has shown. Yeah. O- only because of the last 20 months and, and how they've progressed through. And I thought Wales was a real opener for them. Yeah. And I don't think they'd had that shock for the last two and a half years. Okay. And then I thought whether England, again, you look at selection, but I generally thought they had a chance. They had to start well. Yeah. They had to take some responsibility off of Finn. Yep. which Gregor did well in terms of not kicking to touch, yeah, not kicking that. at goal. Yep. Greg Laidlaw playing with him slows the game down so Finn doesn't get caught up in that that treadmill where he wants to play quick and yeah. risky. And I think that, that helped. I think Hugh Jones back at 13 helped as well. Yeah, of course. Definitely. Yeah, it certainly helps when you have familiar faces in and around you. And on that point, that Finn Russell pass, A, have you ever passed the ball better than that? And B, have you seen? have you ever seen a better pass than that? That... No, and that's the key thing. He's got confidence. He has all the tools. Yeah. Hates the gym. He's old school. He's. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's him. You look at him, and he, people say he doesn't care. You know, but if you lip read between, you know, in, in that French game and in the, the the Wales game, it just there's a split second where he, he obviously says how he feels, and then he tries to cover it up and move on really quickly. Yeah. But deep down, we've all played with players or yeah. seen players who don't want to carry it too much, but you know, inside they're carrying a lot of pressure or. That's hitting, you know, hitting hard with them. So I just felt he was he was allowed to do what he's kicked over Johnny May's head about three occasions on yeah. that right hand side, and that was from generally turnovers. And he just played a bit more freer and, and not got too caught up in it. I think certain players make a difference in that side where they were getting turnovers and it was taking pressure off him. Oh, but it, it says a lot about his character, as you said. What a wave pressure he had under him. I mean, Wales game was poor. His coach whips him off after 60 minutes the week before, basically saying that maybe don't trust you to be able to close out a game. And as a 10, that must sting. So to go out and then perform and play so flat to the edge, I mean, the pass to Hugh Jones, we're talking inches over Jonathan Joseph, and all of a sudden he's a villain again. I mean, what does that say about the temperament of the player? Well, I think Gregor, first of all, has got to take some credit. Yep, made a massive true. call. Putting Greg Laidlaw at 10, hadn't played there for a few years. Yeah. To see the game out, which was big against France. And then have the confidence to probably sit him down and say, mate, look, I'm going to go with this weekend. But, you know, I've got confidence. I've coached you for the last three years at Glasgow. Yeah. I understand how you work. 
they go out in there and just play a game. But remember, there's certain parts you have to do right for the team. And as you say, you know, for, for Finn to, to rock up and he's gone through what he's gone through when yeah. he had a really bad head injury and that's why he's taking this offer in France because obviously one more whack in there and he's potentially finished. So all the little things that he's going on in his head, loss of form and people talking about him leaving Glasgow and not performing as well. Is this going to his head a little yeah. bit with big money move? And Lamborghini spoke yeah, about Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, for a Scotsman, that's right, I tell you. <laughs> but, um, especially for, for, uh, for, for anybody now. But he... Um, he showed some great character, and I think, as you said, some good people around him at the right times. Uh, Peter Horner as well, people, yeah. they played together week in, week out at Glasgow, so he understood Peter, Peter understands him. That was a huge difference for him, but credit to him. Absolutely. What does Scotland need to replicate, or what do they need to do different to get a win at the Aviva? Well, they're coming up against probably the two best domestic sides in Europe in terms of Munster and Leinster, which they make up that Irish side. They're just going to have to play smart and they can cope with the tempo. It'll all come down to just sticking in that game for 80 minutes because you, you saw Ireland at the weekend. You know, they went points down. They went 10-3 down, I think, against Wales and they come back and, and you know, got back to 20-odd points up and, and suddenly they are you know, in form site. They have got injuries. In the past, Scotland have done well against Ireland, historically, because they play each other, know each other. Yeah, There's a few dogs that, that cancel each other out in terms yep. of on the floor yep. so everything that suits for them is key it'll come back down to Finn Russell Sexton yeah. back three players will make a difference I don't think midfield players will make much of a difference yep. it will come down to back three uh, if they get a chance to finish I think someone like a Stuart Hoggler he'll have to have a big game because there'll be space to play in of course. but he'll need a big game what was the household like at 7pm Saturday night? Because obviously your son, he's qualified to play for <laughs> play for England. You must have been doing cartwheels around the place. How, how was Cameron? Yeah, he was all right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Got a cheeky <laughs> smile on your face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, he, he's fine, obviously. He's he's had his discussions with, with Gregor. He's had his training session, with the open session with England. Yeah. Uh, loved it. He's made a call that, you know, at present, he's going to go down this route because he... He genuinely feels that the opportunities and the, and the learning curve and the, yeah. the whole England age group setup is very, very strong. Yeah. Um, Sale have been good to him. Sedbur School have been outstanding to him and yeah. allowing him time off to the twenties and time off to. I think he's only had about ten days since since Christmas at school. Oh, wow. um, so yeah, I mean, you know, he gets a bit of banter thrown my way from the family, and <laughs> you know, there's some Scottish music playing in the background just when he wakes up in the morning, when he goes to sleep at night, but. Clearly, he just puts the beats on and doesn't listen to I it. See, he gave Gregor a call Sunday, actually. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fancy play for Scotland. That yeah. was really good. Yeah. But in all seriousness, I mean, how has he enjoyed his time? Because he's been part of the first team squad, as you just mentioned there. Is, um, has he been staying at Penny Hill? And if so, who's he been rooming with? Oh, geez. Well, last week he was with Haskell. Oh, he? my word. And I got a text from him and he gone, Dad, this fella's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, you're right there. And so he's... The first time he went down to Penn, I think he shared with another academy lad, which is fine. Okay, cool. Uh, you know, two weeks ago when they had the, the open session on the Thursday, he shared with Hask and fair play to, to Wiggy, Richard uh, Wigglesworth, to yeah. come out because, you know, obviously Wiggy was the academy kid when I was playing. So yeah, uh, yeah. he took camp of the, the pictures and I think Mario and that, they went for, for a bite to eat and stuff. So, you know, he understands it all. He knows how far off he is from the whole thing. Um, but he also, he also knows that he... This is what you strive to, you know, being in that environment and, and, you know, wants to be the best player he can be and learning off, 
you know, he's been kicking with Wilkinson the last couple of years. He's been down oh. seeing Ford and Farrell. So, and what he has said, every single player has been outstanding. And, um, you know, Eddie Jones has even had a little comment about him, you know, doing well. And if he wants to do well, he can stick with that white strip, you win some trophies. So yeah, absolutely. He's had a bit of banter in his ear as well. So <laughs> Good on him. But I guess when you just detail stuff, like Eddie Jones has been vocal about him, Sale have been wonderful, um, kicking sessions is Johnny Wilkinson. Is that England's trump card over Scotland that they're able to do that? And I'm sure the Scottish programme, the SQ programme, as well as the youth programme in Scotland's great. But is that where England's just a little bit more different? Oh, 100%. Look at the, well, there's 13 full-time academies in England. You know, the, the under-18 league is very strong for the academy players. The avenue to play in the Anglo-Welsh is another yeah, yeah. avenue for, for, for Campton. He played four games already in there. Um, he sat on the bench at the weekend at Bath, never got on. But, you know, that, that whole package that England can deliver uh, is huge. You know, ultimately, the, the choices lie with the individual deep down. He was born in France, and when I was at Narbonne, he can play there. He's got Scotland or England, but the whole element of England is just, is just strong. If you can embrace it and you can learn from it and take what you can, when he gets to that 20 mark, he can make his own decisions. For me, um, you know, I'll support whatever he does. It's a, it's a short career, and you've got to make the best of it as well. Yeah, too, right. Brian, each week on the pod, we ask a guest to go to memory lane with five questions from the pod and the nostalgic vault. So this week, we want to know your proudest moment in the game. Um, captain in Scotland to beat South Africa in 2002 at Murrayfield for the first time in 33 years. Oh, my word. First time in 33 years. And we had a really good beer session on the Wednesday. <laughs> Before the game. Yeah. That makes it even better. It did, yeah. The hardest thing is, is that you have a decent booze up on the Wednesday, you then win. Do you, do you start to think, I think we've got to do this every Wednesday oh, <laughs> to I think, continue I think lightning never strikes twice, so <laughs> we'll take the one hit and move on. <laughs> Happy days. Um, who's your best mate in the game? Jeez, that's a tough one. Yeah. Really tough one. Uh, we can give you a couple, just so you don't leave it. No, you're all right. Uh, you know, I've always been close to Carl Hogg. Yeah. Um, you know, played together, coached together, went through a lot. Charlie Hodgson still keep in touch with us a lot, really. Uh, Gregor still keep in yeah. touch with him. Keen, but you know, I, I was pretty scattered, really. I was, had a lot of good mates and uh, James Simpson, Daniel. You know, keep yeah, in touch with him a lot. Same bad. So I'm pretty lucky. Um, I've not stuck to one or two. So I've moved myself about. Oh, good on you. Um, the best tour you've been on and why? Um, it's a family pod as well, by the way. Yeah, great. Uh, <laughs> probably one of the early ones, Fiji, Tonga, and Samoa. Okay. 1993, amateur. Yeah. Outstanding. There was a uh, the Lions tour was in New Zealand at the time, but to be in my first tour touring somewhere like that to Fiji and Tonga, Samoa, a little pale Scotsman that had hardly been out the borders, and I was like, that, Jesus, what's this? What are we going into? And uh, you know, I, I was pretty shocked. You know, getting off the bus and there was no, you know. There were just covers and the walls and everything. Yeah. It was just unbelievable. But great people, great fun, great tour, learning from it, and you know, getting smashed around in Fiji and Tonga yeah. and some more for for five weeks, and then four days in Hawaii on the way home with Chris Gay, Chris Gray as the captain, and just saying, lads, you know, we've got four days to enjoy this uh, this time. So that that was my introduction, and it was probably actually one of the best tours I've been on. Party rugby education. Uh, question number four: the best scrum half you faced. Uh, George Cregan, I'd have to say. Yeah. Uh, could never get him on the floor, could never get him out of the game. He was a massive target for anybody to try and stop him playing. 
Um, you know, him and Euston, the two Southern Hemisphere yeah. boys, were special. Yeah. You know, England, you've got you got Matt Dawson, obviously, was was a hell of a good player, and Rob Howley were the two probably Southern Hemisphere and uh, Northern Hemisphere lads that you're around there. And, and uh, you know, for me to try and break into that cycle was hard because they were they were probably well, they were better than me. And that's pretty simple. But um, I mean, that's know. a tough era. Yeah. When well, you mentioned Rob Howley, Matt Dawson, George Gregan, Hughes yeah, van der Veste. Yeah, Fabian Galti, Kieran Bracken. He was all right. Uh, yeah. So the, uh, you know, there was a you can't Great. Know, there was yeah, there was a lot of good players around then. Uh, I think the Premiership was fortunate as well. With the players they had, Harry Ellis, people underestimated. Yeah. Like, tough as nuts. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and world rugby was good then, you know, and, and not that it's now, but, yeah. you know, Byron Callagher, Marsh was all there. So you were coming against players. Um, you know, my first time, Graham Bashup, was the nine and oh 95 gosh. World Cup. And yeah. he was an exceptional player, probably right up there with, with the best in, that I've ever played. OK, final question. If you could replay one game or go back in time to a moment in your career, what would it be and why? A moment in my career? Um, Scotland v England. Okay. Bottom right hand corner. Week before, I t tapped the remaining scrum half's ankle when he was going to box kick, dropped the ball. Eric Pierce picked up, scored. Scotland v England. Gregor's at 10. I hear Matt shouting, I'm going to fly on Gregor, I'm going to fly on Gregor. I go for a box kick, he taps my leg. <laughs> Richard Hill picks the ball up and scores. And I turn around and look, and he's seen that. He says, I watched you last week do that and run off. And I was like, oh, you X. But it's one of them times where you're going to box kick it and he taps your kicking leg. Yeah. Kick my own leg. And that day, obviously, I didn't really want to walk around much after that. I tried to get back to the change room pretty quick, but it's an embarrassing day. And if I could change that again, I would just chuck it to Greg and get him charged down. What, in, you're happy with the tap, <coughs> you just wish you'd turned around and punched Matt Dawson yeah, in the face. I, yeah, probably, yeah, punched or kicked or done anything. Just got sent off for it. So at least I've done have some kind of reaction, but it was an embarrassing moment for me. I think I got sub straight after. Good man. Brush, thanks so much for your Welcome. insight into your memories. Thanks, really buddy. appreciate Cheers. it. Thank you. From one Scotland great to another now, this week on the pod we hear from Doddy Weir, an incredibly brave man who has inspired so many. And this week on Rugby Tonight, we travel to meet him at his farm. Really just the freedom uh, of doing what you want outside. Uh, and, and that to me was, was important of growing up as well. Mucking around the farm, making go-karts and, and one thing or another, which, which you could do when you're in this kind of countryside. And if anything, it was maybe the the farming and being away from everything, I was very shy when I was at school and it may be hard to believe I went to the Cubs at 15 year old and started crying because I didn't want to go in. People would come to the house, I would run away, but the rugby brought me out the shell. In that environment made you talk to others and when I found the appetite for that, I thoroughly enjoy it. I was six foot six and 13 stone when I got my first cap, which would not be heard of now. And yeah, all bones and all legs and all ears. It was always a kind of dream to pull on the blue jersey and I know it's a cliche, but being able to do that was an amazing time and we went on to win the, the championship, which again was, was a wonderful experience. But over the years, it, again, it's like the borders. It's just such a friendly, friendly place to be, Newcastle. MND, motor neuron disease. It's a terminal illness, so there's no cure for it at the moment. And it's a muscle-wasting disease. It basically, your whole of your body shuts down, possibly apart from your eyes. So when I got diagnosed, I was pretty much told there's nothing we can do for you. I don't think that's acceptable. 
And uh, with that, that's where my campaign and foundation is, is going to try and find a research and awareness to make people aware of this and trying to get either a stop or, 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 a, or a fix or a slowdown because there's only one drug available in the UK which came out 22 years ago and nothing's been done since. The support is just, I keep saying it and will say it, is unbelievable. What I decided to do was us all walk out and um, get the kids to stop on the 15 yard line and myself to continue because maybe at some stage that, that's what might happen. Doing that has propelled this issue way beyond we ever thought. Raising of the money is important. If I can say something, what, what's really tickled me and what I really like to see is the enjoyment of people are happening at the functions. Life goes on, and if I can say anything, you've got to enjoy yourself while you can because you don't know what's around the corner. So really, thank you very much. People are getting together and having a better smile. And, and that, to me, in some ways, just is, is nice. Everyone at BT Sport would like to wish Doddy all the best in his battle with MND. And if you'd like to donate to what's an amazing charity, please do at www.myname5doddy.co.uk forward slash donate. It's been a sad week off the back of a, a really good result against Wales it, it, um, across the pond in Ireland. Um, Jamie Heaslip, he's announced his retirement from a back injury and it's amazing that something, it's not amazing is the wrong word actually, so unfortunate, that's something which is so innocuous. It was last year in the Six Nations, he pulls out the warm-up with a back injury, he's had a couple of surgeries, been fighting to get himself back fit, but the one thing we will know about Heaslip is that he will be remembered for all the good things that he's done, not just in a Leinster shirt, but also for Ireland as well. 2013 Lions winning three Six Nations titles, including a Grand Slam 2009, three European Cups, three Pro 12 titles, World Player of the Year in 2009 and 16 and 95 Test Caps. I mean, that is some CV. Horrible way for him to end. Obviously not on his terms, but... I mean, it sounds like he's done his back putting his trophy cabinet <laughs> up. <laughs> that is unbelievable, isn't it? What a career. Um, and a great player as well. And, and you could tell every time you played against Leinster or an Irish side that w that had him in, how integral he was to, as a leader, not necessarily, you know, that, that chopsy, chirpy leader yeah. that's, that's always making the noise, but just someone that the whole, whole team galvanised around. And, um, you know, we've spoken about a lot of teams recently that you look, it's fine being a good ball carrier when everything's going your way and you're on the front foot, but who's the guy that can spark that? And we, yeah. we've mentioned that England have missed Billy Vonapolri's ability when actually they're going backwards to, to stop the rot and, and, and get you going forwards. And, you know, Heaslip has over the years been that man for Ireland when when the hard yards have been needed, when it's not all the flash stuff, he's been able to, been able to give them the go forward. But aside from that, in the wide expanses as well, a, a cracking player. So just a, a really good all-rounder. And I know that you know when people look back on Ireland it, it, and, and the resurgence of Irish rugby, they'll talk about the O'Connells and the O'Driscolls, but he's lit right up there with them. Yeah, absolutely. Should we talk about their game? Because bonus points have only been, I guess they've been a feature of Six Nations just for a few years, but Ireland picking up a bonus point. Their favourites coming into it. 
but it makes some sure favourites now. I mean, that yeah. last minute try from Jacob Stockdale. I, I just think with, I mean, they've obviously um, had a tough first game in France uh, and they had Italy where they, they picked up the bonus point. But I just get the impression that they have that feeling about the Aviva Stadium that it, the momentum's already with them before yeah. when they run out. And, yeah. and they're just so difficult to, to play. And having been on the receiving end of that and, and playing in that stadium, it's amazing how that wave seems to, to, to hit you. And you just can't, you feel like you can't stop the momentum. And, yeah. and, and that's what they've got at the moment. That's why it's so so impressive. be tough for them to, to go to Twickenham. Yeah if they're going for the Grand Slam or England aren't, that'll be really interesting. Well, England obviously aren't, but that'll be really interesting because it's happened on the other foot. You can imagine what a lift that would give England going into the game, going, now you've got to come and do it at our place. But this Irish team will have no fear about playing at Twickenham. I don't think so. I mean, the stats were pretty impressive at the weekend. 80% possession, five tries, 75% territory. The one worries all the injuries they've got. Of course. I was just going to say, and this may sound ridiculous, they're three from three. Are Ireland playing good rugby at the minute? Do you know what I mean by that? Are they playing well? Do you know what? They're playing winning rugby. Yeah. I know that sounds silly because they're winning all their games, but it's a bit like uh, some of the Irish provinces in the European uh, Champions Cup that they are doing things that the other teams are struggling to live with. So Wales, again... I put a tweet up at half-time saying, I think Glenn Jackson's killing Wales here at the breakdown. But it was because Ireland were just all-encompassing there. And, and you know, it wasn't meant to detract from what Ireland were doing. I just thought that Wales couldn't get a foothold into the game. And that is partly down to the the technique and the just everyone buying into the same way of doing it for Ireland. And, and they've done that with their provincial sides, um, you know, particularly... Munster and Leinster in the in the Champions Cup, and 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 they just seem to be able to when they get an opportunity as well that ability to go through the gears and and, and take it. You know, the, they didn't play an awful lot of rugby, but they've still got a bonus point and they scored a lot of tries. And that's kind of what I meant. And it's, it may sound like a stupid question, just because three three games, three great results, a couple of bonus points in that. Against Italy, I thought they were just clinical, got a bit sloppy in their defence. But against Wales, five tries, that's outstanding. But Perhaps, perhaps I guess the point I'm getting at is that they look like they were in third gear and they've got the ability well, of being able to switch up at any given moment. Of a brilliant sight. Yeah, and of often course. you say that about the teams that it just looks so easy for mm. them. You sometimes expect them to be playing for 80 minutes. All you need to do is be able to take your opportunities as slickly and efficiently yeah. as possible. And that's what Ireland are doing. You know, at times when, if you take the Premiership, when Exeter last year were rolling over teams, it never really looked like they had to get out of third gear. They'd score a couple of tries where they picked and went and through 40 yeah. phases, and then that would narrow up the defence, so they had walk-ins for their wingers, a bit like Ireland. You know, they had a walk-in on a couple of occasions. Yeah, yeah it still took a, a decent pass to, yeah. get, to get the ball to the man. But I think when you're when you're controlling games like that, it just... It looks like you're not playing that well because you don't have to do the flash stuff. You don't need that moment of individual brilliance to score your worldy try yeah. because the tries are coming easier. Ireland for the Grand Slam? Um, I think they'll beat Scotland. I think Scotland will struggle to back up the performance. But I still think that 
Eddie Jones's England side <laughs> might have something to say. As I said, I looked at the fixture list last year when everyone was talking up England's Grand Slam hopes a long time before the Six Nations started and went, oh no, England have to go to Dublin. And the yeah. worst thing that could happen was Ireland aren't going for the Grand yep. Slam because the pressure's completely off them. Of they can just say to England, come on then, turn up and play at our place yep. and you get un undone. It's happened to England when they've gone to uh, the Millennium Stadium mm -hmm. as well. This Ireland team have got to go and do it. Yes, they've got the confidence to do it, but I think, I think Ireland will win the Six Nations, but they won't win the Grand Slam. Okay, a quick um, chat about Wales. I don't know what you think about this, and Wales have one result from three games. I think their fans were obviously very frustrated at the weekend, went with high hopes, and rightly so, but I look at this Wales squad, and I think this Six Nations shouldn't just be measured on success. And of course, you'll be critiqued for your, for your wins and your losses, but for Wales, I think with their injury bill coming into it, They've actually unearthed some wonderful players. Not unearthed, the players that we know about. But Navidi, how good's he been? Shingler's another one. The fact that Rhys Patchell's been given a go. So I guess the point I'm making is their strength and depth right throughout that Welsh team has become so much greater now. I think last year, a couple of years before, you'd you'd be able to nail Wales' 15, but I think there's genuine competition now. I think, I think you're right. That's been enforced on them. Uh, possibly sometimes I think about England that... At times, they've got too many people to choose from. So when you have a loss, everyone's saying, oh, we'll throw him in. And I think one of the benefits from Irish rugby and Welsh rugby over the last few years is because they haven't had that volume of players, guys have been able to play through bad performances without the pressure of you're getting dropped in the morning. Yeah. So, you know, if you don't play well. So, so I think in some respects that's helped. The counter side of that is does, it, does that lack of competition allow you to improve as well yeah. so the fact that this has been enforced like Navidi's been been good for a long time yeah. so obviously you know people have been saying with the with the quality of talent that uh, Wales have had particularly in that number 7 shirt that maybe he's just a good club player now we know he's a really good yeah. international yep. player and that puts pressure on the likes of Sam Warburton who's the ultimate leader for them but you're going to have to play at least as well as Navidi to, to get back in you know, Tipperick as well. So, of course. So there's, the, it, I think it's been brilliant Covey for Wales. Boy. You're 100% right though. Going into the tournament, the Welsh media was full of, oh, we're doomed, we're doomed. They they win, uh, you know, they, they win that game against, um, good performance against England. Yeah. Beat, thrash Scotland and and suddenly it's, uh, oh no, we should be, we should be winning this championship. And I think with the Feast injury bill they've had, probably unrealistic, but, they have to be up there competing because and, and because Scotland have done so well, God, it's going to be tight, isn't it? I know. You could finish in second place or you know, a bad five minutes here yeah. and you could be finishing in fifth. But that's why everyone loves the Six Nations. Yeah. And it's so cliche to say, but it's exactly that. The one thing anyone likes in sport is competition and not being able to predict results. And that's certainly what we're seeing at the minute. But... Um, there was another fixture at the weekend. It was France against Italy, 34-17. I'm sure already you know that result. I'm not going to speak massively about it, to be perfectly honest. But I didn't watch the game, saw the highlights. Um, but one really nice moment, Sebastian Negri and Macho Bastro. And they've made headlines for very different reasons. But it seems to all be water under the bridge. And uh, Macho Bastro and Negri, they swap shirts after it. And, um, and it all seems to be forgiven. So good on them for that lovely gesture. Um, and yeah, play on.
Yeah, I don't, to be honest, I don't think, although Bastereau said what he said, which is obviously very bad, I don't think he was actually questioning the sexuality of, of Negri. So I don't think you'd have any hard feelings about a bloke calling you that when I think he was actually, you know, which is totally wrong, suggesting that Negri was a bit soft. Um, so I don't think there'd be any hard feelings there there between the two. But it's nice, you know, I suppose, a nice symbolic uh, thing. Yeah. But the important thing, the proof is in the pudding now. We just need to make sure that no one uses language like that on the rugby field because we know it's not acceptable. Absolutely. Good stuff. Uh, Premiership. Jeez, it was a hectic round 16 uh, in the Aviva Premiership. Good to obviously get back to that. But... Um, I guess BT Sports Friday night offering. That's at Harlequins. Um, Harlequins against Bath, 7pm on BT Sport 1. That's going to be a, a huge game for Harlequins, who are four, four on the bounce. Yeah. And they, They're 12 points from the top six. You can't, over the last few weeks, see how they can solve that until their England players come back, can you? I mean, they... Do you know what? <laughs> and you're right. And I said about Scotland... The, dis- the emotional disparity between England and Scotland was was obvious to see, right? It just meant more to Scotland than it did to England. This weekend, if I had to put money on Harlequins, it wouldn't be because of their form, yeah. but because they're yeah. so desperate. And sometimes you're only ever given one option in sport and you just have to win. Would Have to win. This might be a bit harsh on Bath, but would Bath be the sort of team that you could... If you're playing them in that week and you're in that low run of form, that mm-hmm. you could talk up reasons in your own squad why you could stop the slide with them. In that, they haven't been that consistent themselves this year. Yeah, unbelievable. They've so. conceded de- a decent amount of points, and you know, you still wouldn't put you know, Bath down as one of those really overly physical sides, would you? So no, they're would not. You, would you say, you know, if you were John Kingston, would it be, or well, let's. Yeah, let's simplify everything and just win the physical battle. I think so. Bath do have a heavy pack. I think yeah. their biggest problem was, um, or I thought it would be actually at home against Sale at the weekend, a game they managed to win. They had James Wilson at 10, no yeah, Freddie oh, Burns. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I, 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 well, geez, we do Super Brew uh, BT Sport Predictor. I, I back Sale to win just on that factor. Yeah. I don't know whether Freddie Burns is fit this weekend. If he's fit, I think he's smart enough and clever enough to be able to play a game plan which you need to implement away from home and by that I mean a kicking game a good territory versus possession game tap white 12 gives them that ability to be able to do that as well but you're right for Harlequins of all the teams in the premiership you want to be playing a team as inconsistent as you their coach Todd Blackadder called them pathetic last time they went away from home up at Newcastle I don't think Harlequins be rubbing their hands, licking their lips, but, but that's, yeah, they'll fancy their that's chances. That's the other flip, flip side, isn't it? You've <laughs> almost got, you know, Leicester have obviously been on a, on a poor run, but I actually thought, well, it's a good time to play Saracens because everyone's written Leicester off. Yeah, They've true. got a lot of internationals away. So sometimes in this international period, it's almost better to, when you, things aren't going well, yeah. to get that shock, shock result. So do Harlequins have the same problem that, that Bath are in, almost in the same boat uh, as they are, that they've had a rollicking from their coach and they've got to sort it out about their consistency, particularly away from home. Yeah, they've got to, because um, their next game after that, Saracens at Wembley, so things don't get any easier for them. But um, but let's go through the other games this weekend. Um, Wasps, well, they managed to pull it out of the bag. Christian Wade, last-minute try. Jimmy Gopoff kicks it from the touchline to get a lovely draw 
doesn't help anyone on our super brew. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what matters. Forget the table. But I mean, that's a hugely. I had had Gloucester in that as well. Did you? 14 0 up. I thought, yeah, we've done it. I had Gloucester as well to win. Easy points. But I guess when you look at Wasp's last two away victories, so three weeks ago they came to Harlequins, 14 men, smacked them 44 points. Then they've gone away to Gloucester top four side looking really strong at home and they get themselves a draw well, particularly having gone 14-0 down I yep. think that they're the sort of you know periods in games which define your season and give you that confidence that actually even you know even when the chips are down when we're loads of points down you know that we're coming for you and and they wasps over the last couple of years have always had that ability that that they know they're never done because of the talent they've got that can score tries and Christian Wade scoring the final one proves that to them Yeah, and now they'll have no fear wherever they go that's it I'm talking of BT Sport Predict I had a look at it and you were the only person to back Leicester well that's just because you're biased isn't it I guess it is is (laughs) I'm not really kidding well you were right in doing so weren't you you? I I, I just I saw that we were uh, well I I was at the um, sale game the week before yeah and Saracens didn't put anyone on from their bench until the very last few minutes, which said to me that they they have suffered with international call-ups and injuries, and they're a little bit worried about some of the guys coming through and, and, and whether they can whether they can sort of play manage at this level and manage yeah. that that pressure. And I looked at Leicester's bench, and there was a lot more experience on it. So that was one of the things going into my head. But you take out. Wigglesworth and Farrell and yes you've got uh, Spencer and Lazowski who are great players but you haven't got that level of experience yep. the fact that uh, George Cruz was going to be away there's it was a very young Saracen yeah. side I know there was a few you know the likes of Brits and, and um, he's just and back from injury though isn't yeah, he exactly. that was another point yeah. you know, you've got a guy just back from injury with a with someone on the bench who has never played what was it never never longer than thirty minutes of Premiership rugby so he's yes, never been I on the field for longer than thirty minutes I hook gets him, yeah, on early because of the in yeah. the back row and he's got to play <laughs> so I certainly don't think it's overly reflective on Saracen's season the manner of defeat um, but tell me this because Mark Bakewell's come in two weeks yeah and. And it's one of these weird things, and it always happens in sport, not just this sport, happens in football. New coach comes in, all of a sudden your season changes around. Beat Harlequins, wasn't the greatest of games, but it was a decent result. And then you rock up the Alliance and you come away five points. So tell us quickly, I mean, what kind of difference has he made? What new energy well, has he I given th- the boys? I think that's the point, is energy. So slightly different voice coming in. Um, changed a few things around. He had the boys boxing at 6.30 in the morning on Monday morning. You talk uh, about energy. Uh, after. <laughs> yeah, but just like literally that, that get out of the old routine <laughs> we always turn up at this time yeah. and, and do our units or whatever. So I think that's been it. I don't think he's dramatically changed tactically anything that the forwards are doing. Maybe he's... One of the things I thought with Le- Leicester um, is that because of the back line they've had this year the forwards have almost dropped out of the fight a bit early because if they don't do anything on the first couple of phases, they're going, well, we better give it to Young Z and Fordy and Matt Tamur and Matt Lange because they're the superstars and and we don't want to lose the ball and then not have a go. And they've almost not narrowed up the defensive line enough for them to attack. Um, So 
you could see that Leicester were much more direct. I think they'd highlighted something in the Saracens' defensive line that they were getting a little bit lazy in and around the breakdown. Everyone's fearful of Saracens' wolf back forwards defensive in and around 10. Yeah. But I think they'd seen that actually some of the big boys are a bit slow around the breakdown. And Figler got done a couple of times. Yeah. Manitoulangi picking through the middle. Uh, what a Greg, handoff. Greg Bateman as well. <laughs> You wouldn't want to be on the other end. So, look, everything clicked for Leicester, but I don't think Leicester were ever quite as bad as everyone made out. Yeah. And I don't think it had quite clicked. But equally, now, you can't say they're... Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. Suddenly, all their problems are behind them. But we've mentioned confidence in this, this podcast quite a lot. Yeah. That will give them the confidence now, but they have to back it up with a difficult win away at six ways yeah of course so um, yeah you just mentioned it there um, Greg Bateman brilliant man who had a really good game and Talisa Viana well his try if you've not seen it go on to BT Sports Twitter page to check that out we've already covered off Quinns against Bath Quinns really struggling first home defeat to Newcastle in 18 years so they'll be looking for a response I'm actually I'm making my way down to Sandy Park on Saturday that's at 3pm BT Sport 2 live from 2.30 first against second how do you see this one going I think the last thing Saracens will want is to be going down there. However, they've got some of those big names back. We think that George Cruz is going to be available back from England duty. They've got a new signing. Have you seen this? Well, I well, I don't <laughs> think it's been confirmed by them. This is this is social media. <laughs> so Sean Maitland to blank out someone's face <laughs> in the back of his Instagram story. So, so Sean Maitland puts up an Instagram story and he tags in Blair Cowan into it, and I was like, hang on a second. And Blair Cowan's got this mop of head, but he's recently had a haircut. So I've had a look at it. And Blair Cowan sat there at their training base in full Saracen stash. And so one of our producers here, Griff, he rings up Saracens and says, mate, have you signed Blair Cowan? And he went, no, what, what, why would you say that? And he's like, um, it's just I've seen it Sean Maitland's Instagram story. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, that Blair Cowan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, Sorry, yeah. I forgot about him. We'll be announcing something. So apparently they've got him in a short-term deal, which That's is great. weird for yeah. London Irish. But, it's, but, yeah, London Irish... Yeah, from from their this won't go down well with the fans at all, I'm sure. But from their board's perspective, you know they've got to think about building to come back up because they're they're pretty much assured yeah. to be down, aren't they? Yeah. So part of that will be spending the right amount of money in the championship and to to come back up. Maybe they can do some deals now to bring someone in that they think's a championship player. I don't know how long Blair Cowan's got left or so they can free up a bit of money to allow them to do that. Maybe there are other areas um because Blair Cowan didn't play uh against Worcester. Uh, against so maybe there are other areas that they feel they need to strengthen more so they can then use the money that Blair Cowan would have been taking up in their salary cap to go out and, and bring in a short-term replacement themselves makes perfect sense for Saracens having lost Callum Clark with a broken arm yeah you know it's, it's a win for win for both sides really. prediction uh I I'm just going to say that uh, Exeter are going to win. Exeter are going to win. Um, Gloucester against Newcastle. That's also at 3pm on Saturday. Two of the form sides. Newcastle up into yeah. fourth. It's a real it's a real rat race now, isn't it? Not just for top four, but top six is really starting to take shape as well. Yeah. I um, Newcastle's... Br- I loved seeing Dean Richards' face at the end of uh, last week's game. He's just got that... <laughs> yeah, he's just got that excitement back that 
something's building here. Yeah. And, and uh, has he signed his contract yet? I don't know, but oh, look, he's um, they're doing some good things up there, and they've got an exciting side, haven't they, to to, to play? So we always knew with some of that talent that if they clicked, then they would start scoring lots of tries, and they're doing that. And, I mean, and, you know, fourth position, they could, you know, they could. Can they maintain this? What do you reckon? I think so. I mean, despite this beast from the east, and once the snow goes, the fact is the surfaces are really getting firm. And I look at a back line of Takalua, Toby Flood, Mer Moz, Dietrich van der Merwe, Gonover, um, Sonotti, Sonotti. That's a proper good back line that thrives at pace. So with five rounds to go, and they're currently sat in top four, unfortunately in this league, we know how tight it is. You can't afford to blink. You can't. I, you, you I, could think, be I think this week's the test for them. I think for Newcastle in particular, this is the test. If they win at King's Home, <sighs> you're back that's to That's a big call, though. If, yeah, it is. Yeah. But I still don't think... It's doable. Are Gloucester dramatically different from the side they were? Or has Ackerman just got the best out of the, the personnel that he's got available? Do you know what I mean? So, uh, I think... Gloucester should always have been performing more yes. consistently can they maintain what they're doing and stay at the top of the table or do you think as the running ha- starts to happen that, that might I mean, it's, it's such a tight league this year isn't it it's a weird one and you're right Gloucester are underachievers of course of course I mean they're, they've got to be the best team in the premiership not to have won the premiership itself regardless of whether Gloucester or Newcastle finish in the top four if they get Champions Cup rugby next year, this season has been a massive yeah. success. Of course, you'd always want more, yeah. but it's been a success. Um, Saints against Sale, Saturday at three. Well, Saints are pretty good. Almost turnover Exeter uh, last weekend. Sale were unlucky not to turn it out against uh, Barter. That's a huge game. Uh, we've got L- Wasp against London Irish. Tough Irish, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you can only see a Wasp win. And then a live game on Sundays, Worcester against your former team, Leicester Tigers. BT Sport won from 2.30. It's a big game. That's massive. Revenge as well, no doubt, after Worcester turning you boys over. Yeah, at we, we've Road. seen the teams that Worcester have beaten this year, although they're down there at the bottom. Um, they're not scared of, of, of playing big-name teams and, and teams that are much higher up the table than, than Leicester Tigers. So they'll fancy that. But, uh, again, I think you're right. It's a, it's a bit of a season-defining game for Leicester if they don't win it you can probably write off top four yeah absolutely well Ben thank you very much it's been a it's been a lot of fun just detailing all the weekends rugby uh, tune in Friday night as I said BT Sport 1 from 7pm to kick off what should be a really excited weekend of rugby quins against Bath well, make sure you subscribe to the pod and get it to delivered to your device every Thursday morning leave us a nice review and a five star rating bye for now Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.